Today, it's a great honor to introduce Mr. Jagdish Bilwal. He's a stalwart not only in Indian boardrooms, but also on LinkedIn and his own show, Clarity. He has spearheaded the IT revolution as CIO in Tata Motors for eight years and two more at GE Transportation. He's been awarded Cloud Icon and Automotive Icon in the CIO Powerlist Awards as well. Hey, thanks, Kaushik, for having me on the show. It's a pleasure and privilege. I admire people who are versatile as well as visionaries. You happen to be both. So how did you go from being a part of the excavator field service of Tata Motors to making a dealer cloud at a time when most people didn't have a clue and they only thought the meaning of cloud meant from where it rained? So I was repairing excavators and then I moved to the headquarters and my boss actually looking at my credentials of doing a small little transformation in field service at Hyderabad encouraged me to take up a project for transforming the profitability of dealer workshops. So Kashik doing this program was more of a process transformation program and this gave me my niche of re-engineering processes, transforming processes and that's what the company required at that time with increasing competition and the duopoly of Tata Motors and Leyland being challenged. There was a complete rethink required for our customer facing processes. <laughs> Interestingly, CRM was started as a business program and not as an IT one. And three of us business managers, fast trackers, were selected for running this. We approached it from business outcomes point of view, and we started rethinking all the processes. Technology was an enabler in the process, but even we learned the process of managing technology. In this entire journey, I also realized the power of technology to transform your operations, to transform your outcomes. It just works as like a gearbox that can completely change your gears. So if you really ask me, CRM was not so much of like, you know, implementing technology, but much more of re-engineering the customer facing processes and enabling them with technologies. And the biggest thing was manage the change because everyone was so skeptic of putting everything on our systems, letting go of their local ERPs. And the biggest learning that I got or the biggest achievement of that program was in managing an enterprise-wide change all across India. I believe it was one of the world's largest automotive CRM programs as well, right? Yeah, when we started it, that was not the intent. But I think the program added so much value to all the stakeholders and the way it was architected. Yeah, I think it just kept expanding and became the largest. It also brought all the dealerships under one umbrella for all customer interactions. I believe it gives a single view of customer or dealers. And while now it's normal, but I think at that time it was indeed very, very innovative. Yeah, initially it was conceptualized as, you know, giving a, giving a complete operation system to all our dealers. And then as Tata Motors, we would be looking at that data. We would be analyzing that data and finding improvement opportunities. And eventually we will start direct customer interactions, handling the complaints and taking on a lot of request kind of work from dealers at an all-in-jail level. For example, let's say taking service bookings. Okay. 
फास्ट फॉरवर्ड एज ऑफ टूडे इफ माई फिगर्स दर एक्यूरेट द सिस्टम सपोर्ट अबाउट टेलीमेटिक्स become a core system for dealership operations it has mm-hmm. become the eyes and ears for the organization with the analytics implementation with over 10000 users it has become a self service system for the customers and dealers and i think tata motors runs one of the largest automotive call centers in india at least with 1000 wow. plus running 50 plus processes doing everything right from selling value added services to handling customer complaints breakdowns to even renewing customers insurance you just name anything that the customer wants so the call center does that amazing by the way i was one of the first few people who owned a tata nexon and i absolutely love their cars and have experienced their systems first hand as a customer and it's absolutely excellent now moving on to a central focus of the brainbox podcast on leadership so you are a proven leader so what are the three key leadership traits that you consider and is this something that you exhibited during your school days or was it something that you just learned along your corporate life <laughs> that's funny gashik because uh, if you saw me as a 8 or 9 years old and you come back again after whatever 42 years and see me again you will not recognize i was a bookworm actually and not really a sports person not really extrovert personality and i had this huge curiosity to learn about everything so what has not changed between you know, me being a bookworm to what i am today uh, is the curiosity is the learning mindset mm-hmm. so i think that's one big leadership trait and a slightly contrarian one also is the fact that understanding that i don't know everything and i need to learn because as we grow into our roles people are looking at looking up to us for answers and we feel that compulsion to know everything but no as a leader i think your biggest trait is to learn and to evolve all the time and that requires curiosity the second leadership that defines me is focus on people you can only grow as much as your team allows you or enables you to grow so uh, make it a two way process add a tremendous value to the team in terms of mentoring in terms of unlocking their potential creating opportunities for them taking care of even their personal issues i i wrote uh, some time back about an incident where one of my colleague actually wanted to come back uh, to station traveling a few hundred kilometers just to pick up his in-laws mm-hmm. from the station and i said hey you know what you focus on work i'll get it done for you and required right. me to take like you know off but uh, we still did it you know that kind of focus on people you know, enabling them empowering them developing them mentoring them opening doors for them i think that is something that defines me i continue doing it for people who have worked with me and even otherwise and that has to be a bit unconditional mm-hmm. and i think the third trait is to to look outside most of the times we are very happy looking at what we are doing and what we have done and we can celebrate the success but as they say the world is always moving faster than you 
or at least somebody is moving faster than you. So you have to continuously keep looking outside and looking at people who are better than you. Even if you're the best in the industry, you have to look at some other industry where things happen at a bigger scale and with a better quality than you. I call that as a process of benchmarking. Mm-hmm. Always benchmark, always look outside in, always can expert advice. And very importantly, don't beat your own chest. Let the world tell you that you've done well. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to give you an example, uh, e- even in CRM, when we were setting up some of our uh, systems, we were already ahead of the market. We, we were setting up these uh, customer communications technologies like SMS and call center and all. And nobody in automotive was doing it at a scale at that time. We were the early movers there. So I had to decide how to make it still the best in a sustainable way. We looked around to banks. Banks were managing customer communications at maybe 100 or 1000 times the scale of any other industry. And we started talking to only those partners who were engaged with banks. We said, we want only those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, once we implemented, let's say, that SMS platform, five months later, my account manager comes and tells me that, boss, you said you want to send a, a crore SMSs or 10 million SMSs a day, you know, that kind of capacity you wanted to create. You know, you're sending only you know, 700,000 SMSs a month. And I said, you know what? This was for a five-year scale, not for today. So don't worry. You've just built the capability to scaling up. And that's exactly what happened. The seven lakh eventually became a crore after five, six years. So, you know, look outside. And if you're always looking at people better than you, you will end up building things which are scalable, sustainable, and, you know, which can earn their place in the world rather than claiming to be there. Since you've been a part and have led high-performing teams, I wanted to get your insights on this. Uh, Do you think that, Teams are successful because they make more mistakes and talk about it openly and therefore are able to innovate? I think that's a very important question, Pashit. How you deal with mistakes sets up a very important aspect of your culture, whether it's a team culture or an organization culture. How you handle mistakes defines a very, very important element of your culture, which is openness. (laughs) If people are open about their mistakes, then you build a culture of continuous improvement. Uh, if people are hiding mistakes, then you have a lot of debt that keeps getting pushed under the carpet and eventually it defines a different culture. And I think there as a leader, it's very important for you to set the tone. And it starts with actually accepting your own mistakes first. So when everyone makes mistakes, we are all human beings, even leaders make mistakes. If leaders start defending their mistakes, you set up a culture of defending your mistakes. If you accept your mistakes, if you ask for feedback, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? And you accept those and you start making some visible improvements. I think that gives a message to the entire team. that It's okay to make mistakes, accept them. And then more importantly, not to repeat them. How do you manage issues within the team? I mean, there will be politics, some yes men, some in the passionate variety. There will be different types of egos involved. So how do you handle all these issues within the team? I think that's a great question. As you keep handling bigger and bigger teams, you start having more and more sophisticated leaders on the team and naturally this leads to issues and politics and all. See, you have to decide as a leader 
do you want to fix people or do you want to fix issues? Many of us get into a personal mode where we want to fix people. And that's where we start, you know, misusing the dynamics in the team or to settle scores or promote one over the other and all this kind of thing. And as I keep saying, you know, the team follows the leader. So you encourage politics, your team will play politics. If you encourage resolving issues, if you encourage finding root causes of issues, if you encourage building greater understanding between the people who are battling each other, people get the message that it doesn't work. My methodology has been to get the team together in formal as well as informal settings. So go out, have some team dinner, go out and some outings and bring in a lot of humor. So the two guys don't see eye to eye each other, you know, like in front of both in a tripartite setting, I'll kind of roast them in front of each other. And after a while, they'll start laughing and they'll understand that, okay, you know, what we doing? I mean, let's not give our boss the chance to roast us. The same thing in a formal setting can be that if somebody comes to me with an issue with somebody else, I would rather that have a tripartite meeting saying that I want to listen to both the sides before making up my mind. And that basically gives a very strong message to people that griefing doesn't work. You know, we have to solve issues within each other because if we don't do that, you know, the boss will call us together to solve the issues. Great point. So what would be the key things that you look for in your hybrid? Any favorite questions you probably ask in an interview? Of course, a non-technical one. I think the, the biggest trait I look for is honesty. Yeah. Uh, you are who you are and you're not trying to uh, be someone else. You know, I would typically ask a question which is as tough as you might not know the answer. And if the person says, I don't know, but I can get you an answer in two days, I would really love it rather than somebody trying to bullshit his way around. Uh, so honesty and forthrightness is the first trait you look for in a hire. I think the second trait would, of course, be uh, resourcefulness. Resourcefulness in the sense that today everything is so complex. That you can't expect one person to know uh, everything, right? Look at any of the areas, technology, security, um, even business processes. You can't expect people to know everything. Because we are not interested in whether the answer comes from his brain or somebody else's brain. The important issue is, are you able to get the job done? So great relationship with partners, uh, great expert network, how you come across uh, in the ecosystem per se. I think the third is people, you know, how you deal with people. Because your resourcefulness and your ability to execute today depends a lot on how you manage people or how you deal with people. I would sometimes ask them a question around how you deal with partners. If somebody say, I, you know, bamboozled them or I, I hit them with a stick and a hammer, this is more like a no-no because in today's world, you have to collaborate. So collaboration and uh, a focus on people, how you deal with people is the third important thing. In fact, I ask every very, very open question. What's your people philosophy? And then my cross will be around, not just your subordinates, but let's how you deal with your peers, how you deal with your superiors, how you deal with your partners, uh, etc. You know, that actually many times bring, gets me the, the right answer. That's a fantastic question to ask, actually. Uh, so moving on to your interviewing prowess. So how was the experience of telling? When we started more, the intent was to add value to everybody. You know, bring the wisdom of my peers out. 
when I was doing this, before I started, I sat on the whole thing for about 90 odd days and all. Uh, just trying to clarify the why of it. I mean, I really love Simon Sinek's book, you know, just start with why. Yeah. Like to, if I have to do something on a sustainable basis, then the purpose has very, very clear. So I started building a document around the purpose. So that's a five slide document that I have, which is why do why leaders to come out and talk about things beyond technology in terms of how the technology works. I mean, how to make technology work and deliver a value. So fast forward, you know, that purpose was clear. Uh, when I talk to my guests, so they are very clear about the purpose why we are doing it. And that just, you know, gives us the right momentum. So Kashi, the purpose of Clarity Chat was yes. simply global research says 70% of the programs fail. And that means technology is not the answer. Technology helps you find your answers, but it's not the answer in itself. In other words, technology is necessary, but not sufficient in transformation. The gap between the two is the management the processes, the leadership that you bring in, the uh, your ability to manage change, your ability to create one team across partners, because most of the talent lies on their side. You know, those are the things, you know, which make success happen. A big uh, element here is that digital and IT very, very nascent management function. So there's not much codified knowledge or, you know, management courses around. And uh, there, there's a lot that you can learn from the leaders around. And that's what we are trying to do in Clarity Chat. On to my favorite question. If you could go back in time and give your 18 or 24 year old self some advice, what would that be? Uh, when I was 18 to 24 years old, I was much, much, much more impatient. I was a bundle of energy. You know, I wanted to get things done in super fast manner. If I have to go back, I would say that, hey, guy, chill. You know, things happen at a pace. And you don't really have to lose your night's sleep uh, in achieving your goals. You, you will achieve them. Don't worry. So uh, it's more, you know, be patient. Don't be anxious. There's a design for each of us. Uh, that will happen in its due course. Just do your best. And, and there's much more to life than work. So I enjoy it. Great. What about on the career front? So, you know, we fret about our career, planning uh, the entire thing. I can give you my example, the completely unplanned career. In 94, I joined Tata Motors and in 95, there was an opportunity to get into IT. There was an aptitude exam for all the graduate trainees. I was one of the very few people who did not sit in that exam because I was like, hell bank, okay, I'm a mechanical engineer. Mujhe paana chalana hai. you know, use machines and spanners and all. And I went to this excavator service. Uh, when I was there, my career path I used to plan was I become a zonal service manager, then I'll become a regional service manager, and then I'll become the All India service head. And then I'll sit, sit happily in the Jamshedpur headquarters. Then I moved to the automotive service headquarters. The plan remained similar, but the business changed. So it was, you know, I'll become a a zonal service manager, a regional service manager, then all India service head or let's say warranty head, some, some sort of leadership position there. Then got into CRN and I thought, okay, it's a one-off project. I'll do it and come out. Okay. Then I kept getting sucked into it and I actually figured out that I'm pretty good about two things. One is managing across 
organization team. There were some five or six organizations involved there okay. and running IT and then transforming processes. So I was actually planning to come back to business when I got the CIO role. And just imagine, you know, in 2000, whatever, between 2002 and nine, getting completely sucked into a function, which I myself had rejected in 95, about say 10 years back. Wow. Yeah, and then taking over that function at a leadership level. So when I look back, yeah, I really smile like how firmly I had planned in 95. I'll never get into it. How I came here and I became a success here. Uh, I think the key lesson for our listeners here is that, you know, take it one at a time, one year at a time, one tenure at a time. Experiment. Be clear in your heart what works for you. As long as it works for you, forget about what other people are saying or what your career plan is saying. That's a super takeaway just by itself to so many people, including me. So that's absolutely a fabulous statement to hear. On that note, a very big thank you for having taken out the time to join me on the show. I'm really appreciative for the wealth of experience and the valuable life lessons that you just shared with us and wishing you the very best for your future. Thank you, Kashi. The pleasure is all